0: Welcome back to the Wizards of Ecom Podcast. This is episode number 314. My name is Carlos Alvarez and I'll be your host for the show. Today we're going to talk about 10 tried and true techniques that crush for commercials and how we can leverage them in our ecom businesses. Our guest is a renowned DRTV expert who has mastered the art of leveraging television for sales, bringing unique and innovative approaches to product sourcing. He's also a soldier, journalist, marketer, and the founder of Symark, a newsletter which I subscribe to, by the way. Um my friend Jordan Pine. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I am excited to have you on. I'm going to say right now that there's like three different topics that I would like to have you back on on the show. One of them is uh, paid email newsletters, which you're doing. Um, Purple Ocean, which you obviously already know that I've really gone off the deep end on. Like I love it. <laughs> and, and this topic, that 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 you're a master of. So, since you are going to come back on the show in the future, hopefully, if I don't scare you off, I wanna I wanna give the listeners and, and even myself some of this stuff. I'm not gonna know. Like I didn't know Soldier was in there. Um, I, I wanna give the listeners an opportunity to get get to know you a little better. So, can you share a bit about yourself? What was the journey like that got you into DRTV? And for some people, what is DRTV?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy journey. Um, I've had four careers. I used to say four careers, really three. But out of high school, I joined uh, the military. This is in between the two Gulf Wars. So um, much to my mother's uh, pleasure, I, was, I wasn't in either of the wars that happened uh, over there in the sandbox. I, w- I served in between the wars. But uh, I joined the military straight out of high school. I was a paratrooper, jumped out of planes for a living. I went through all that crazy stuff just to break out of the suburbs. I think just mainly out of boredom, wanted to travel the world, you know, meet exotic people and potentially kill them. But uh, it, it, was, uh, it, it was a fun time. I was 17 when I went in I served four years active and four years in the reserves or the National Guard. And the uh, the military had a program, two, two programs back then where they would, um, in the Army at least, they would pay for college. So uh, after my four years of active, while I was doing my reserve time, I went to uh, the State University of New Jersey, which is Rutgers. And while I was serving in the National Guard unit in New Jersey, I met a, um, I met a, a Marine that had just showed up. The, the National Guard was a little weird in that it was the Army National Guard, but they would take anybody from any other branch so this marine shows up and you know the the top sergeant says someone want to show this guy around i said sure i volunteered and uh, we became close friends and he went to school for business and psychology and i went to school for journalism and after we both graduated went into our various fields and he was actually recruited out of college by a top as Seen on tv company to run their procurement um well Initially, he started out as helping out the procurement department, then eventually running it. And um, years later, after I had been a working journalist, I used to write for business publications. I moved over into digital marketing, and this is, you know, this is dot com bubble pre dot com bubble burst uh, digital marketing. So very early, I moved into marketing, and he said, you know, you should meet some people and and think about taking your marketing gig over to our business. It's a crazy business. So I ended up meeting one of the top guys in the business as well. And then he just recruited me with, I had, I had no experience in asking on TV and TV marketing. I was purely a um, online guy. He recruited me into the business and uh, and that's how I um, joined this, this particular industry. And that, so that's three. The The fourth one was very briefly uh when I was in college early years, I was a private investigator for a PI firm that was run by a bunch of uh, former FBI guys. So Sometimes I say, you know, soldier, private investigator, journalist, and then uh, marketer, but um, really it's just those three.
0: You remember what the the first project was that they had you work on when you went over and joined the company?
1: Oh yeah. So, so I show up, you um, know, I, the, the guy who, the company's called Idea Village, still exists, very successful. They have the copper fit um, line of, uh, you know, pressure compression garments, and uh, they had sold. Um, they had sold actually the product that started it all was the first one that I worked on that became the, um, finishing touch and flawless business, which was eventually sold to church and Dwight, um, for big, for big numbers. Uh, but, uh, so when I showed up, we were, it was the first year of that, that very first product that became a whole line of hair removers. And, uh, I was tasked with, I remember my first gig was, you know, you don't know anything about this. So go to, go to the stores walk the stores, look at the packaging that they typically put beauty products like this in and come up with some concepts for packaging. So I did, I, you know, I I borrowed an idea here. I borrowed an idea there. I work with the graphic designers and I came up with this package, which, um, you know, I don't know if anybody would remember it now, but it was basically a three-dimensional design because I had seen something similar and I really liked it for uh, hair curlers. It's like a pop-out piece. So it looks kind of three-dimensional. And inside that pop-out piece, you could put a you know a woman smiling or doing whatever she's doing. And it was sort of a three-dimensional look. And up to that point, it was pretty much four color cardboard boxes in our business. So that was a that was a an innovative innovative idea, which of course I borrowed from other people. And uh, and you know, the boss loved it and it became like it became a standard of the yeah, seen on TV industry for for many years before somebody else finally innovated beyond that. But but that was my first gig, yeah. Finishing Touch, which is a pen-sized facial hair remover, and that that packaging with the three-dimensional pop-out piece.
0: So, so that's that's wild. I'm almost at a loss for it. So, success right out the gate in here is that is that when you knew, like, hey, this is this is a this is a path. I've, I found a home. Like, this is what I love doing, and I'm gonna really start sharpening the the what do you call it? Like, getting getting sharper at your your craft here.
1: Yeah, I loved it. It it really dovetailed with journalism because the you know, all the technique there was, it was a lot of writing and thinking about um things from the perspective of instead of the the reader, the consumer. And you know, as a journalist, I I had had a unique experience because again, we were online, so we had all kinds of metrics and we could see if I wrote a headline or something, I could immediately see, you know, whether that changed how many people read the article because we were a paid subscription um uh, publication. And we measured all that stuff. So I kind of already had this basis in, in writing for a general audience. You know, in journalism, we say right at an eighth grade level. I think you've said fifth grade level. You know, it, we we keep dumbing it down. But back then, it was right at an eighth grade level, right for a mass audience. I already had that background. I had the background of looking at metrics and understanding how various types of copy drive um, response. So as soon as possible, I, I sort of dipped my toe into that and started getting into um. You know, script writing or working with the script writers at first because I didn't have any production experience and of course now i've I've written and creative directed over you know hundred and fifty commercials but but back then it was it was you know it made sense to me speaking to a general audience and looking at metrics, understanding how certain things you know what what you do creates a different kind of a response
0: when you said experience, I thought that was interesting when you said you had experience looking at the metrics um I just, I've read these two books that were almost, I've recommended them to people and I'm wondering if you've read them, but I, I, I recommend them with a warning because it like really messes you up afterwards. Like knowing this, one of them is called lying with statistics. And the other one is like lying with charts or something like that. Have you ever read those books? You know what I'm talking about?
1: I haven't read those ones, but it sounds like some things that I have read, um, there's a guy named Rosenzweig back in the day who was a professor at Insade that wrote a, a a famous book on this topic that I think you're about to go into, but i'll I'll look those up. go ahead,
0: yeah, no it's 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 wild. so now anytime somebody tells me anything or I get sucked <laughs> okay. into a title, and I realize after the fact that it was that's what they talked about in this book, like you can make this thing say anything you want. and here's what it would normally be expressed that in words, but here's how you could hook someone with that same thing. And it could, it could almost, it just appeals to a broader amount of people. Um, Right. So yeah, I, I, I thought it was wild. I recommend them with a, with a warning. Only because now I feel that anytime I hear anything with a metric or anything with a metric in it, I stop and I'm like, wait a minute, what are you trying to do here? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) well, yeah, it sounds
1: like, are you talking specifically about using um specific statistics to sell because that's definitely yes. a uh, a technique that we use in the infomercial world rather than saying you know it's the best. We always try to get that that number. My favorite uh my favorite joke in this genre is um well, you know ninety three point four percent of all statistics are lies
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think that's what you're trying to well, say, right? But we, absolutely. we, uh, as far as best practices go, it is always the best practice if we're going to talk about copy and effective selling techniques to get specific, and that that goes back uh, more than 100 years in direct response. Is if you have a, a stat to use a stat because it, it obviously converts more people than making general puffery type statements. All
0: right. So, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about commercials. Um, do you have a an all time favorite commercial, and why is it your favorite commercial?
1: It's a great question. Um, yeah, you know, I I, I came up when um, Billy Mays uh, was still alive and and he was in his prime. So all my favorite commercials uh, feature Billy Mays, uh, OxyClean. You know, the OxyClean. There's I, I could do a whole seminar, a whole clinic on selling selling techniques and OxyClean alone. Because that's really pinnacle of direct response advertising and selling, you know the the main visual there is he he drops the OxyClean into a, a big a big tub of red dye and it turns clear before your eyes and that of course went on to be a huge success and sold to um, uh, I think it was Church and Dwight as well um, you know for millions of dollars one one of the big success stories so that that commercial there's another one with him called Mighty Putty where he pulls a tractor trailer with this uh, Adhesive putty. I mean, he 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 was the he was the uh, he was the guy when uh, when I came up and seen on TV. So a lot of my favorite commercials are from him. And then you know you go back in history. Anything Ron Popeil did, you know, the set it and forget it, the Showtime rotisserie, though uh, you know those are all great commercials. I, I've been writing about him lately and revisiting all of his uh, classic work. He has a book called The Salesman of the Century that I highly recommend it's sort of half autobiographical and half techniques that um he developed and um and you know and then there's there's so many other classics like the ginsu knives and um stuff like that but yeah i i would say i would say billy mays is the top of my list because um he was so good at what he did and all the techniques that we're probably going to talk about in this in this interview are are encapsulated in, in his commercials
0: and these these people you're referencing, like, did you lo- start learning about them in college or, or, or while you're being a journalist? Or is this stuff that you were first introduced to uh, when you were getting into direct response TV?
1: I didn't have a good handle on what it was all about when I first joined. But uh, interestingly enough, I was a I was kind of a lazy kid. I didn't I played like street sports, but not any organized sports. And I watched a lot of TV after school. And I had this encyclopedic memory for commercials. I I can still recall jingles and slogans to this day, and of course, my parents were like, you know, you're wasting you're wasting your life away. What are you doing? But as it turns out, I mean, that was that was sort of an early education and all these commercial techniques. So yeah, I was familiar with all the most popular, most aired, uh, as seen on TV, infomercial infomercial stuff like that. But um, yeah, when I entered, I really didn't have a good handle on. It, it was a crazy business. It's such a fun business too, uh, especially back in the day. Yeah, I remember going to um, we had an annual trade show in Las Vegas every year. So my first Las Vegas trip, it was just just mind blowing. I mean, we had people from our industry walking around like rock stars, dressed like rock stars, like for, they were from the Rolling Stones. You know, a girl on either arm, all blinged out, and I was just like, what kind of a crazy industry that I get myself into and then the next year there was like a big um sort of like our own version of the dot com bubble burst it was a tough year and then I show up and all those guys were gone and I was just like a bunch of midwestern guys in checkered shirts and I was like it's, it's, it's the craziest industry because you can make a fortune back then you can make a fortune overnight and and then throw the biggest craziest parties in Las Vegas i remember at the um there's a there's a houseware show in Chicago the top uh, ASEAN TV company had literally had a circus tent as their booth in Chicago with like stilt walkers and juggler. I mean, it, it, it could be that crazy because there were so many millions of dollars made in, in a short period of time. And then those guys would just build huge monuments to themselves and go bankrupt all the time, too. So it, it was a wild industry when, when I first entered it.
0: I, I think, like with a lot of things, beginning uh, can be the hardest. Like I read something recently that was that. And it had to do with somebody talking about Chat GPT, and it was that it's easier to edit a rough draft than it is to start one. So I, I guess with all that in mind, from the beginning, how, how important is the the opening or the beginning of a commercial, and what should go into that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's critical, and I think a lot of these techniques apply to uh, any kind of copywriting, whether that be for Amazon product pages or emails or whatever. And um, you know, some of these things are going to sound familiar if you've listened to other uh, uh, selling copy gurus talk about uh, great copywriting. But we always start with the problem, and and this has been tested multiple times, and literally millions of dollars have been spent to arrive at the conclusion studying those KPIs that um what sells is to always start with an articulation of the problem that you're solving. So, you know, in the infomercial world, we go to great lengths to make every problem seem as painful as possible. And this is that um it used to be black and white. Now we kind of do a desaturated. It's sort of like the Wizard of Oz, you know, the Wizard of Oz, it's black and white in the real world. Well, then she goes to, to Oz and everything becomes color. Well, we used to use <laughs> we used to use that technique. And to some extent, we still do and, and to portray a problem. And you know, this is the this is the poor housewife, and she's sweating and blowing her hair out of her face and and struggling to do whatever, scrub a pot or clean something, or, or whatever it is that we're going to solve. And then, you know, Wizard of Oz, everything turns to technicolor, and your hero product is presented as a solution. And the idea there is just simply to always start by by letting the consumer know um, that you're there for them and to solve their problems. And, and this goes back, I mean, um, you know, there's a, there's a famous Harvard professor named Clayton Christensen, no longer with us. He did the innovators dilemma. Since you like books, we both like books, a bunch of books like that, but he had this concept, which he's now famous for, which is that people don't buy products. They actually hire them to do jobs that they need to get done. And is his, um, His colleague Theodore Levitt said, "People don't want to buy your quarter-inch drill. They want to make a quarter-inch hole. So, so if you think about the the perspective of the consumer and they're trying to solve a problem, they're not necessarily interested in your product. They have a problem they need to solve. So we always start by saying, we get it. Resonate get resonate with them. You know, Um, you know, make them think yes, that's me. You know, I have that problem. And then you present the solution. So that's how we open every single as seen on TV commercial."
0: my energy's up. Like, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. Like I'm, I'm really, I, I'm digging this. So I, we don't have to do this because we didn't prepare this, but like, what do you want to attempt like right now live? I mean, you have 150 plus commercials under your belt. Do you want to like get a product as we go through this and just like,
1: sure. We could even go with the
0: one you said, you know, uh housewife sweating or or any other one and kind of walk through and build in some of the tactics and techniques that should be incorporated if this is going to be a commercial and then, and then let me also add, we're talking about commercials here, but can, can some of these techniques also be applied to someone shooting a video for an ad?
1: Absolutely. so what we're in process of doing right now is taking a lot of these uh, commercials and adapting them to Amazon video, adapting them to YouTube. All these things are very, uh, you've had a lot of guests on talking about, for example, YouTube and um, other vid types of video and, and they're, with the exception of some of the really short ones like TikTok, uh, all these all these video formats work really well. Um, all these techniques work really well for those kind of videos. And even on uh, TikTok, I was writing about it recently. I've noticed because I see a lot of uh, the, the kids are always showing me things too. There's a lot of um, what we do called demonstrations in TikTok video. So the most compelling ones, the ones that are always showing me, are like a rapid fire, if it's a product, series of, demonst- of, of magic demonstrations. It does the, watch this or the, they speed it up a lot of times. And these are all as seen on TV techniques. So every, every social media video platform, and, um, and including Amazon Video, it's, it's very conducive to this uh, style of doing
0: video. You're talking my language, man. So, so so let's do this. What 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 like mock fake product are we going to use or to to try to like stick with one example throughout the whole thing?
1: Okay, so I've been thinking recently about um we, this would be a great product called Grease Bullet, which is basically uh you drop it into the sink in hot water and it you know it magically scrubs your pants for you. Since you're talking about the this poor woman whoever she is that has to use all her elbow grease and scrub to death. So obviously we would start with uh, not black and white these days, but it would be a desaturated seeing that, that sort of Wizard of Oz effect. And, you know, she'd just be, you know, and and this is true. You have that, that old uh, green scratch pad, or you have that, you know, that wiry thing. And, and she would just be working away in a soapy sink, just trying to get this. I mean, it's funny because now I'm thinking about mainstream commercials that, that use this technique, you know, Procter & Gamble products or, or Dawn or any of these, they'll all use variations of this technique where, you see someone toiling away at the elbow grease way to get grease off. And then this product that I'm thinking of from yesteryear, you just drop it in the sink and it magically takes all the...
0: I'm imagining the music too. There's like music going on or like some background jingle that's like very melancholy or something like that, like doom and gloom or I don't know. And then as soon Well, the voiceover is
1: the key, right? The voiceover would be like, are you tired of struggling <laughs> all day to scrub your pants. Yeah. That That's it's, it's, are you tired? Are you sick of, are you sick and tired? We we use that all the time.
0: Nobody's like, no, I'm not. I love scrubbing my pans. <laughs> right. Like there's only one way to answer this. So the, so the bullet goes in the water. We've opened with a, a, a pain point that somebody's having, we're speaking to the customers. What are, what are we moving to next? Like what technique are we like, are we going to drop in next?
1: So then, you know, so then we're in, in uh, Oz and everything's in color. And usually we start similar to like an Amazon product page. It's a really tight shot.
0: Music kicking in now or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's usually a tight shot of the product, you know, the beautiful product reveal. Then you need, you know, or introducing, you know, one of those kind of lines, And, uh, and then you see the, everything is magically in Technicolor and this beautiful product. And then immediately what I like to do is uh, payoff, I call paying off the problem. So if I started with this problem, and I, I present the solution, the product as a solution, I immediately want to go to a demonstration, a magical demonstration, we call it a magic demo of this product, easily solving whatever problem it was that you just had. And again, you know, is a little bit different online video, you can totally do this is a little bit different, but it will be a similar flow. In that you would say you need this, and then you'd immediately go to the uh, benefits of of the product and demonstrations. So, we're very heavy on demos, demonstrations and uh, video.
0: So, so for demonstration here, is demonstration enough that this bullet went in? I'm assuming there needs to be some bubbling or something happening to show actions happening in the water, right? But like right. this thing goes in the, this bullet goes in the water and maybe there was a shot of how dirty these pans were before going in. And then they're all of a sudden pulled out and they're like brand spanking new. Is that the yeah. demonstration? Or are you talking about beyond that? Now there's like a cutout and it's showing like the underwater version of all this gunk being ripped off by the bullet.
1: Well, you're hitting on two, you're hitting on two different techniques, and we would we would use all of them. So initially it's a quick hit to show the reveal, a before and after. We use a lot of and, I, and I'm hitting all the techniques that we want to talk about, the 10 tried and true techniques here. There'll be a before and after or a wipe to a reveal of how the pan looks before and after how the product works. But then when you're saying underwater video, or we use a lot of animation, sometimes you obviously you can't get inside of a, a device or a electronic device or something. So we will use animation to show what's happening inside or what's happening, you know, beneath the water or, or how it's breaking stuff up. So we use uh high-end animations to, uh, that's another section of the commercial, the, the here's how it works. The secret is part of the commercial. So these are all both of those techniques are, are very great selling techniques that we use in in most of our creatives.
0: What, what, what would you do? Like in this case, this commercial that we're designing right here is for, it, it seems like moms or a homeowner, that's a woman cleaning the pots, right? But say the bullet has multiple uses, like this might have a B2B application and you're going to save in labor costs because you just drop this bullet and all this stuff, instead of people, you know, checking their phone and like plugging away at the dishes. Do you try to address multiple use cases in one video or just like, no, this is, we're dialing this straight in and this is for this uh, stay at home mom or this homeowner uh,
1: woman. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, We address that more often when a product has multiple uses. So there is a, there's a bunch of pitfalls in what we do. And one of them is uh, what I call a Swiss Army product, right? Which is a Swiss Army knife product, which is trying to take a product that has seven different features or, you know, a Swiss Army, basically a Swiss Army knife and, and market it in a what we call short form, which is 120 second commercial. So yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go into B2B. I, I definitely stay narrow on who my target audience is. And then there's enough room, I think, in a in a traditional Ask on TV commercial, which again is three or four times longer than uh, uh four times longer than the average 30 second spot. There's enough time in there to talk about a second and a third uh use of the product, but I wouldn't go much beyond that. And it it it's surprisingly hard to fit Everything you need to fit into a into one hundred and twenty seconds, so yeah in in the in the long form world, which is the thirty minute infomercial world, they have more time to explore sometimes in the third segment, which is later in the half hour. they will talk about you know they'll go to a restaurant like you're saying, and they'll show how you know um, people in this restaurant are using this product to cut their dishwashing time in half or whatever that that can be done in the in the thirty minute format, but not in these short formats and obviously with YouTube and, and Amazon and stuff like that, you have the similar time constraints. I think it's maybe three minutes these days is, is a, is a good, uh, or less than that, but three minutes is like the maximum you want to do on YouTube. And, and obviously sh- that shorter format is better for Amazon as well. So yeah, you, you wouldn't want to go too far afield with that kind of limited selling time. And, and we've experimented with it by the way. And, And the more, the more paths you take people down, the the lower the response and the less conversions.
0: What I'm, I'm, my mind's going bonkers right now. I I love this. The, I feel like I know the answer to this, but just in case you can educate me here and maybe listeners have the, the, the same wonder. So if I'm seeing this commercial, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but on that type of pan, It must work like that, but not on my pans. Like I have cast iron or I have one of these Teflon or whatever, like the bazillion things that are out there now. Um, Or that's for grease. Like, I don't know how to cook very good. And a lot of the times I have some like hard little like stalactites built on mine and they just don't come off. So how are you, how do you go about addressing that or, or do you, or do you just expect them to make the leap and say, well, you know, it just gets everything off.
1: No, for sure. So there, there are two techniques uh, that apply here. Uh, One is anticipating objections, uh, raising and answering obvious questions and objections. We do a lot of that thinking. So um, some of the thoughts that you had would be in the commercial, because we'd have thought of them as well, works on this kind of pan, copper pans and ceramic pan. You know, we'd hit all that. We would, um, you know, if you have a good answer for an objection and it's, it's one that comes to top of mind, then we would directly address that in the commercial um, a- answer those questions if we can. And then, you know, the, the second, the second thing you're hinting at, I think is, you know, a little bit of a credibility issue. So we use, um, we use what, uh, the great Cialdini called social proof. That's say uh, one of the six principles of persuasion. We use a lot of that in, uh, in short form and long form infomercials where we have, you know, customer testimonials, uh, celebrity endorsements, tactics like that. And, you know, what uh, online we, it, it, it's, uh, Amazon's really done a, a great job with social proof. Obviously, you go on any page, you can immediately read customer reviews. It's the same thought process. You know, if you have any doubts, read the customer reviews and see, see, and, and be surprised sometimes how many stars it has and that that actually works. So we try to replicate that in our own controlled way in infomercials by having credible, mainly credible testimonials. And there, you know, the, it's a difficult process to get those. It requires a lot of shooting and a lot of to get those little select pieces that are that are going to fit that short format. But um, but we put a lot of energy into it because you're absolutely right. You, people need to say it you know, works great, changed my life, whatever it is uh, to, to get over that um, sales barrier.
0: Not counting the brainstorming, the scripting, just the shooting for a two minute commercial. How much time does it take to shoot that?
1: So the actual shoot days are usually, uh, between one to four days, I would say, um, days? you know, this, yeah, yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever been on a set, it, 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 it's, uh, you know, it's multiple takes and, and, you know, you're trying to get, obviously you're trying to get the perfect, it, it's really challenging. I can't really explain, <laughs> I can't explain to you without taking one to four days, how challenging it can be with the lighting and the sound and the, and, you know, the, you know, hitting the marks and hold the product up and smile, you know, even something as simple as that, right. That's, that's going to be like, all right, well, it's too low. It's too high. You know um, the lighting's right. Can we bring So obviously you, you want to put a, a beautiful commercial on TV. So um, it, it can take a whole day, by the way, just to get, let's say you wanted to get 10 to 20 seconds of good testimonials. Well, people don't speak in sound bites. So you're interviewing people and, this person, you know, is just I don't know. They're like me right now. They're going way off the reservation. You're like, can you bring it back? Uh, you're trying to get that, find that one little select where they where they say the thing in the correct amount of time, so it'll fit in your commercial. So even that can take a, a whole day. We used to do mall testimonials. Go to the mall, talk to a bunch of people. You get weirdos. You get people that that look weird. People that talk weird. People that have accents. and, and you know, finally, you get okay. This lady, she looks like our customer. She happened to say these five words in the right sequence. Let's grab that one. So it, it can be a very painstaking process, but it could also be fast relative to, I know the the big brand companies will spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and they'll shoot like a movie for, for days. So, you know, it, it just depends on what the product is. And
0: I'm seeing it now. I, I, in my mind, when I asked that, it was, you no, know, you said made sense. In my mind, it was like, there's, I'm imagining there's a set and there's a kitchen set that that's set up and there's a there's a sink full of suds and we got to get the suds to look just right and right and there's someone with an apron and i got that and i was like four days of that but now <laughs> i'm seeing there's the animated the, the animations need to be built there's the voiceover yeah, yeah. person might not get it right you're talking about getting testimonials like the whole shebang to put this together is four days i i, I could but, see that it would take I gave me four days range. just to get testimonials at the mall
1: yeah right i gave you a range so if it, if it's a if it's a commercial with no testimonials and we're shooting in a, in a house with a sink, like you're saying, uh, probably a day, a day and a half, we can get everything we need shooting wise. And of course, like you said, we're not counting pre-production, which is brainstorming the commercial, writing it, all the stuff that I do, and then post-production, which is all the editing stuff. So yeah.
0: Okay, so we're, we started with a problem solution opening. Um, I feel like we, we, we spoke about showcasing the unique features and benefits of the product, right? Yeah, um, two. The, the bullet yeah. drops in and it, and it and it does that. Um, you you in your article, um, which I'll I'll link to in the show notes for everybody and, and I'll post it on social. Um, you have something about a magic demo. I don't I don't know if we've covered that yet, or 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 should we now? Well, what's the magic demo?
1: Yeah, so I alluded to it. Um, the my my favorite commercial, Billy Mays, is dropping a scoop of OxyClean into his giant tank of red dye and you can watch before your eyes as it magically turns clear demonstrating that it's a stain remover right so demonstrating the key selling point of the product and we we try to we try to hit that level of demonstration in every commercial not every product you know um, it makes sense for that but just to give you another example so we we do a, a line of tactical products that are military style flashlights stuff like that so for that product, when we first launched it, there's now been 26 different ones, but when we first launched that product, that flashlight, we, um, we froze it in a block of ice. We turned it on, froze it in a block of ice. So you can see that it's still on, frozen in the block of ice. We ran over it with a heavy military vehicle. You know, we, we did a bunch of different things to demonstrate how tough this um, particular, particular product is, and, um, and that, that, was, that was how we did our magic demo. And, and and you know if you watch any infomercial, there's there's going to be something like that um, torture tests. Are another famous one, you know, try <laughs> you got to explain that. Well, yeah, that. torture I'm the product, torture? right? If you're selling a tough uh, product, torture the product, torture. yeah, <laughs> <I was laughs> not like, yourself. What? You don't torture the person. Yes, yeah. We 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 do a uh, we waterboard the uh, pe- no, we don't do that. We uh, <laughs> we run over it with a Humvee. We boil it in oil or water. We, tor- we, torture the, um, we torture the product as much as possible to, uh, to show that it's tough, for example. If durability is, is obviously your selling point, you wouldn't do that with a uh, facial hair remover. But uh, th- that's what a magic demo is, something that's magical. With the facial hair remover, great example, um, you know, we're trying to show that it's gentle. So our magic demonstration was we, we run it along a balloon and the balloon doesn't pop. That shows that it's not a razor. It's not gonna cut your face and and that's how we did that's the magic demonstration for and that we don't
0: show all the balloons that did pop <laughs> during those four days
1: <laughs> sometimes it had no the edge was a little they put it the wrong way of course there was an accident yeah what the hot, the hot so, lights so, pop the balloon so,
0: so that i know what a magic demo is i'll give you two quick examples i i didn't know these might be magic demos you'll be the judge so one of them was i was helping somebody uh produce a they sold hookahs and- big thing with hookahs in e-commerce is they're fragile. So they could have either invested a lot in the packaging, right? Just to ship it, or they could have made it functional packaging. So they went with functional packaging and it was a case. It was a carry case. Like maybe you want to take your hookah to your buddy's house. So I came up with this idea that why not show the hookah in the case being dropped off a four-story building? And then when it gets to the bottom, your hookah's fine. Would that be a magic that's a demo classic for as, yes it's You've classic thrown it's thrown not even original
1: i'm sorry to say no it's not original we, we've oh, thrown so many things off of really and here. dropped them out of helicopters and absolutely that that is that is that is dr 101 my friend <laughs> great job
0: all right yeah that's awesome no um,
1: that that's man. exactly what we're talking about that that is um you know i think it was uh ron popeel and he was quoting an even older uh source but he was basically saying that you know, demonstrations are his whole philosophy of advertising could be summed up in nothing works harder or sells better than a demonstration of your product superiority. And, you know, when you're trying to, and it also goes to your point about credibility, when you're trying to convince people they can order this thing, and it's not going to show up in pieces, what better way to do that than to have this magic demonstration where you toss it off a roof and open the box up and it's still intact. So yeah.
0: You familiar with Blendtec? Say again? Familiar with blend tech?
1: Are they the ones that did the Will to Blend series? Because that's a great example. Yeah, with the phone.
0: Like, is, is that another version? Like a variation of a magic yeah, demo? Like we can, okay, I got it. Because
1: you're selling power, right? You're selling this blender will, bl- will blend crushed ice. It'll crush ice, whatever. You know, It's the toughest blender in the world. It's got, it's got a gazillion RPMs. And then you're like, and we're going to prove it by blending a phone. And you're like, okay, well, if it can blend a phone, it can definitely make my
0: smoothie. So I'm buying it. Right. Okay. All right. No, I I have magic demo. Like, that box is checked. And and I'm also (laughs) stealing, I guess, from the greats, thinking I I came up with an original thing by dropping it off off a building. But
1: Yeah, one of the sad truths about doing this process, by the way, is nothing is original. I'll think of lines, and then I'll call up a friend of mine who's even longer in the business than me, and I'll say, you know, I had this really great line, rhyming line, and uh, shout out to him. It's uh, John Miller of uh, Hutton Miller. And I'll say I have this really great rhyming line, but it, it's just too good. It sounds like something you probably wrote like ten years ago. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I did, I did write that line. And I'm like, damn it, <laughs> I thought it was original, but you already thought of that.
0: Then you go down the rabbit hole, like what inspired him to come up with that? So sure. like, where does it, where does it end? Um, we comparing products. I guess this is a little dangerous because if you have. You know, this bullet we're dropping in a sink, you don't want to show, or it might even be legal to show like palm olive on the screen. So how are you, how are you doing comparing and contrasting while not falling on the other side of, you know, I'm, I'm bashing my competitors.
1: Yeah, because there's a disparagement rule. So back in the day, we used to just straight up do comparisons and disparagements. And then there's some rules around that. Um, you know, the, the classic example of comparing and contrasting is uh, Bounty, the quicker picker upper. And it's, a, it's in pretty much every commercial they've done since all of, since I was a kid, where they have that split screen and there's a spill, a blue spill, and Bounty gets it in one swipe and the competitor and they, they call it brand X. I don't think they go straight after any particular brand. But so, so you can do kind of a brand X side-by-side com- uh, comparison. You can do it that way. Um, you, you, can just, you can just do a comparison or a contrast with older, more generic methods, you know, like uh, in, our, in our bullet commercial, or, you know, we, the, the, I guess the latest thing is the foaming ones. I've seen a lot, a lot of the major brands doing a, a foam where you foam up a pan and you, you let it sit and all the stuff slides off instead of having to scrub. So what we, what we might do there, particularly in the longer format, is we might have a challenge, you know, so we might have, you know, uh, a woman and let's say her her foil, who is a uh, you know, and and they both have to clean an X amount of pans in a certain. Let's let's not be sexist. We could have two guys we'll have to clean a, a bunch of pans in a certain period of time, and the the clock runs, and you know, she uses the bullet, and the other one uses the traditional, or he uses the traditional method, and then um and then at the end you see the you see the counter the whole time, and of course it took. It took the uh, elbow grease method, you know, many more minutes than, than our product. So that, that's one way of, of, of tackling it without getting into brand disparagement. <clears throat> I think um, my screen is showing that your microphone is muted. Oh, I got it. Okay.
0: So I muted because I cough. No worries. The, can you marry the two together? So uh, comparing and contrasting using my crazy hookah example, we have the functional packaging. We dropped a hookah off the roof, didn't break. Then we get the brown China packaging of the competitors and we drop that off and it obviously smashed. 100%. Can that, that's like killing two birds with one stone. Look at this. I'm on a roll.
1: I know you You've internalized this quickly. You, you should be doing commercials with me. I phrase. I love it. What, what, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And I also wanted to say one thing about magic demos too. You know, th- there's a, um, especially on YouTube, we're all familiar with Mr. Beasts and these influencers that they get millions and millions of people because they really think about Doing it, I used to call it a Barnum move. PT Barnum and the spirit of PT Barnum, like you, you do certain things, like these torture tests and magic demos. They're really designed to um, also to to generate excitement, to generate wow, which translates into a strong impulse to buy. So you know your your rooftop thing, not only is it reinforcing two key selling points, it's also it's also interesting to watch and it gets people excited and it increases the wow factor of what you're selling so that motivates people to buy particularly on impulse so yeah you're you're really killing three birds with one stone
0: what about um now we're getting into some as far as like my my amazon brain starts kicking in here and i know we're not talking about amazon we're talking about commercials but it's testimonials endorsements to me that feels like reviews we're getting into like uh raise and answer obvious questions and objections. So I feel like on Amazon, that's the frequently asked question section maybe, um, mm-hmm. or your bullets. How are you, how are you pulling this off? You mentioned the all, but how are you pulling this off with commercials?
1: Raise and answer obvious objections or, or um, the testimonials? The, the objections uh, we, we thing can, is- We could start with the first through. one. Raise and answer obvious objections. Yeah, so that's I mean that that is like selling. That's selling one on one. And really, you know, one of the key insights about advertising is that it's it's the best advertising, the most effective advertising, is selling. Advertising that sells. So we think about everything from that perspective. And and any any person who's done sales knows that this is one of the key techniques is to think through the questions and objections of the person who will be listening to your pitch or wanting to buy your product or whatever. So that's really just a thought process. What I really like about Amazon is they have ways for you to get questions and aggregate common questions from people. So that, that's also helpful as well. And, and we've used methods, you know, more modern methods like surveys, uh, SurveyMonkey is a service we've used a lot in the past to try to figure out what those objections are going to be prior to um, shooting our commercial so that we can, we can think about it, particularly in the script writing phase okay, when I did that survey, you know, 20 people said, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to work with a ceramic pan. And so we have to make sure we hit that. We, we've learned quite a lot of things from these um, online consumer consumer surveys, my bad. We've learned a lot of things from these um, consumer surveys that have really given us insight into creating these commercials uh, and thinking about what people are going to have in their minds when they watch our commercials.
0: You know, anytime I hear the word surveys, it, it, it just gets me frustrated because I, I've had no success with the survey monkeys and all this. It, it's almost like I my, my secret hack is if you want to get information from a survey is to tell everyone what your great idea is because people love shooting that down and in <laughs> and in the process, you learn something. So like how do you how do I, I believe it's critical? Like it's a super important thing. It's valuable to be able to get that information. but what how are you incentivizing people at that stage to participate in a survey? To give you this. Yeah, so
1: we've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work in particular with surveys uh, going back years trying to figure out how to make surveys predict sales. And through much frustration and working with all different kinds of people, even data analysts, you know, quants, people who are really smart at this thing, um, you know, we gave up on that project altogether because people will tell you one thing and then do another. And they, they've proven this many different ways now with consumer research, where they'll ask you going into a store what you're going to buy today, and then look at your cart when you come out and it's not what you bought. So we, we, we learned the hard way that you can't use surveys to predict sales or even, interest in a product you know we, we routinely will get crazy numbers on surveys like 75% purchase intent and then that has no correlation whatsoever with actual sales. And the nice thing about what we do and what, what Amazon sellers do as well is we have we can see you know with actual sales data whether or not people are taking out their wallet. So there, there is no way to do use surveys to do that what you're mentioning though it's, it's very good for questions and objections because people have no qualms about telling you what they hate about your product so while it might not be useful for positive things like predicting what they're going to like about it or whether they're going to buy it you can get a lot of you can see trends in the data um you know that that will or comments or trends in comments they have these word cloud analyses and things that will de- definitely show you where the weaknesses are in your product so you can develop um you know responses answers to some of those things and help push people on the fence onto the right side of the fence or the right side of the property.
0: Sure. So, so I feel like we're getting, I feel like we just dealt with like the head, the body, and now we've, we've set ourselves up for the, the coup de gras. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're coming in now and we gotta, we gotta get the sale. So, you, in your article, you, this seems like it leads off with. Um now present a powerful offer at an incredible price. does this mean what does what does that mean? heavily discounted uh, how do How do you decide on that?
1: yeah, so the main guideline here is what we call price to value in the industry, so um, it's not always about the you know the best price. That that could be a race to the bottom. It's about creating the most value for the price. And we used to go for it. It's harder now. It's very competitive now. Prices are always huge downward pressure on prices. But it helps to be um, it helps to be in your blue ocean. It helps to be in a new category because then you don't have all these reference points pushing your. Um, value perception down in in a world where we're often introducing brand new products, innovative products. So there's no real reference point, or if there is, um, it's traditionally very highly priced in the, in the heyday um, that, you know, there, when there wasn't Amazon and all these other things that, you know, there's typically a, a, a similar product and they were often quite expensive. And we were able to break the price we were, off, we were often able to offer the what we call the poor man's version. So take the product and simplify it and make it more mass market. So we did a lot of that. Um, you know, you could pay $60 for this and we're going to give it to you for $10 or $19.99. All of our price points were sub 20 um, in the heyday. Uh, so yeah, so so there is some price thing going on there. If there is a more expensive, if you're the first one, obviously, to break the price or come up with a, with a poor man's version of something, um, that then you can do that price comparison game. Uh, these days, it's just really more about building value. So we'll do that with extra parts, um, premiums. We we still do premiums, uh, which means you know little little gift with purchase type things. Sometimes it can be really simple and expensive, but it gives that little extra edge. Uh, like we have a we have a peeler now. We give this little um, this little spiralizer thing. You can stick it in the potato and spin it around, and it kind of turns it. It kind of opens it up into a. Uh, a, a whirly potato that you can you can fry on a stick or something, and and people love that thing, you know. So, so sometimes th- that technique will work. Um, you know, I I know it's very competitive on Amazon, so it can be hard to find these things. But um, I would say rather than than getting into a price game, which is a race to the bottom and low profitability or no profitability, I would focus more on building up the the value of the offer, the size of the offer. The things you include, unique things you include that other other people can't, stuff like that.
0: If I'm understanding this right, and this means basically, if you have something that's new to the market, or your version of something, or you, it's not a me-too product, as I like to call it. If you don't have that, yes. you don't have to deal with all these add-ons and everything like that. It's it's your it's your blue ocean, and you can set the the price pretty much where you want, as long as that price is less than kind of like the, the subconscious price assigned to like what they assign to cleaning those dishes. Like if they assign right. 50 bucks to that and you're like, man, 10 bucks or sure, 20 bucks, I would pay 20 bucks all day to not have to do this every night. Right.
1: Yeah. Our grease product's going to be challenged because there's a lot of reference points for what this type of thing should cost. So then it's a question of just building up the value of the offer. You know, maybe you get, maybe you get 10 of them and that's a, you know, 60 day supply, some, something crazy or whatever, you know, you, you have to think outside of the box a little bit, because I think in, in this particular category that we're talking about in our example, you have a lot of reference points for similar type products. So you got to think more creatively about, about what you're offering and get that, get that piece count up or, or offer something, you know, totally out of the box. That's unique to your, to your product. I mean, the Not bullet like itself the- is, is a little bit of a unique thing. Just drop a bullet into a sink, you know? And it magically turns the water into a grease-busting machine. I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing.
0: Cool. And what about using my, my hookah example again, like this, this functional packaging hookah box, maybe somebody's had two or three of their $150 hookah smashed before. So now when they're looking at this, you could sell this box for $100. And the person's like, I'm going to save me God knows how much money in my, my hookah career, if you will, because they're no longer going to get smashed. I have this case. Would it work like that too? Yeah
1: that that's pretty good. I I tell you what I would do with your hookah. I would um I would focus more on the the craftsmanship, you know, the uh, hand-blown glass or, you know, made in the whatever region where they they're known for their quality of their um, you know, glass blowing and and craftsmanship. That that's the direction we would go with a with a product like that. Give it cuz when when you give it that perception of um I'm not going to say art, but you're moving towards the art side of it that then your perceived value goes way up. So we had a product years ago that was for um watering your plants. It's just a bulb that goes into the soil and it holds the water and gradually releases the water to sort of self water your plants. It was called Aqua Globes and it was it, it looked it was, you know, it, it was painted, hand painted. It looked like a like I think it's Murano, it was a Murano glass from, from Venice or whatever. It had that kind of a look. So we put a lot of effort in the commercial into talking about how it was handcrafted and that bumped the perceived value up. So then of course, when we came in with the 1999 price, it was like, wow, I'm getting this beautiful, you know, hand blown glass piece for, you know, four of them for 20 bucks. So, you know, that that's the kind of direction I would go with your hookah.
0: I love it. And you... I assume you have a bow on this at the end with minimized risk with a satisfaction guarantee. How, yes. How impactful is this? It can
1: be very impactful. We, we've gone we've gone from back in the 80s when the infomercial business started. It was as simple as or your money back. There's a famous guy named Al Ikoff who formed an agency, Ikoff Advertising, and that was he was the first one to say that in a commercial which was at the time was, was a total innovative concept. It was, it was attention-getting, game-changing, that if you weren't happy, you get your money back, right? People were worried about that. So he just said, you know, all your money back. Now, obviously, we've gone all the way through all the cycles of every kind of crazy thing you can imagine from, you know, forget 30-day, 60-day, 90-day, one-year, five-year, lifetime guarantees, you know, all this crazy stuff, all this crazy stuff Just mentioning it, by the way, just mentioning your guarantee, calling attention to it, it is important. It has less impact, like I said, than in the 80s. But it definitely is important because it's a reminder at the moment of truth that you're you're de-risking it, you know? Because what happens is we, we sell on emotion. We sell with, you know, magic demos and amazing demonstrations. And we build up all this emotional hype, which generates this strong impulse to buy. But then when it comes to taking your wallet out, the moment of truth, Then you got to shift to justifying with logic. And one of the ways you justify with logic, besides the great price and how how great of a value is, I mean, you're practically making money buying this thing, right? Those kind of arguments. We also want to come in and give them the reassurance of, you know, don't forget, you know, and I guess in the case of Amazon, it's don't forget, you know, you don't forget the the generous return policy that you you can't make a mistake. If you buy this thing and you hate it, just send it back. I mean, Amazon does a as a business, as a whole, as a great job with this to, to the point where I think I just basically throw my returns to the window of my local UPS with a, with a fluttering receipt behind it, and they just take it in and immediately give me a credit for it. So, you know, it's that kind of thinking, though, and just reminding your prospect that, that they're covered. Don't worry about it. Even if you, I know we made a lot of promises, you get this thing home and you hate it, there's no risk to you of, you know, a full refund total satisfaction guarantee, whatever you want to call it.
0: Something I would really like to know here is what could I and other listeners to the show go to for resources to learn more about this? I'm going to be linking to your article in the show notes, but you dropped a lot of names, a lot of, a lot of famous names in the space. Is there books or things that you yeah, recommend I have for whole... people to learn more about this?
1: You can't see behind the book titles behind me on the shelf, but I have a whole library of uh, of books. So um, all the names that I mentioned have books, uh, Clayton Christensen, um, if you want to go to the Harvard side for infomercials, Ron Peel, Salesman of the Century. Um, where, where can you go for that? Um, I've mentioned a bunch of them in various places, but I don't think I have one comprehensive list. I'd be happy to give you a short list that you could drop into the show notes of like classic as seen on TV books, but, um, I, I, cover a lot of them. I write about them a lot in the Symark report, which is the newsletter you mentioned earlier, and that's free. So what I liked, what I've been doing the last several weeks is picking one guy, like, uh, let's say Joseph Sugarman or Ron Peel or any of these, any of these guys going back to, they, they go back to the mad men era, um, before that, you know, and I'll pick one of these guys out from a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago. And I'll, I'll talk about their, their selling techniques, um, how they apply to direct response and beyond. And then I'll, I'll usually have links in those articles to their books if you want to do further reading and stuff like
0: that. What's the easiest way for somebody listening to this to find your newsletter?
1: Yeah, if you just Google the Symark report and Symark is S-C-I-M-A-R-K, uh stands for scientific marketing, um, or just go to Symark.com. you can find it that way. But it's I'm on Substack, so it's easy to find through Google or, or go to Substack and the Signmark Report is the name of it. It's, it's been uh, I've been writing it since uh, 2007. I used to I used to uh, originally it was just to keep track of all the stuff that was on TV from our industry, and I would write little critiques of commercials and stuff. And I've evolved it into more of um, I, I still do cover what's happening in our business for those that are interested. I put usually put a commercial on every newsletter that's new that's on the air. Case you want to study the latest techniques that they're using, that's also fun. Um, but but I also use it to write about these, these selling techniques, which are more than 100 years old now.
0: Yeah, I, pull, I pulled it open in front of me so that I could make sure I'm referring people to the right, uh, like, like some of my favorites. But there's one from May 12th, which is going to the more recent ones the 10 greatest marketing concepts, um, in one sentence each. I really love that. I shared that out, uh, a bunch actually, and then 10. Uh, advertising rules from a living legend Dan Kennedy. Uh, probably the only person on the list so far that I've like read books on. I think there was the No BS Guide to. Yeah, he's famous. Yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, sure. But yeah, great stuff. I highly recommend it. Anybody that wants to dive deeper into what we talked about today, uh, best way for people to get a hold of you?
1: Simark.com. and I'm also on LinkedIn. Jordan Pine on LinkedIn. Uh, it's also tied to Symark, but Simark.com, You can find everything you need. The newsletter how to contact me, um, a, a anything else.
0: And finally I to wrap work. up the episode, or, sorry about that. No, okay. Uh, f- finally to wrap up the episode, what is your favorite book and why?
1: Okay, so we were talking about this before you had recorded. So I, you know, in terms of life and life wisdom, I have to say the Bible, obviously. I, I've been reading the Bible since I was a kid. There's so much good. I mean, as I get older, I think more about life and the wisdom of life and how to live a good life. And uh, the Bible is the place that I go for that. And then in business, um, there there are so many books. Again, I'll give you a list, but um, the one that had the most impact on me to the point where I I named Symark after the title of his book, Scientific Advertising, is a guy named Hopkins, Claude Hopkins. And uh, what's, what's fascinating about Claude Hopkins is he wrote his stuff literally 100 years ago, 1920s, I want to say, maybe before that. He practiced uh, advertising and lived and wrote um, his his two books on, you'll find them on Amazon, are Scientific Advertising and My Life in Advertising. But if you read those books, besides having a fun window into old advertising methods, like train advertising and outdoor advertising, um, the, the tactics that he mentions, and I, I've done an article about it in the Signmark Report as well, that you can find on the newsletter archives, the tactics that he mentions, the selling tactics for selling for direct advertising are still highly relevant today, and you can see all these techniques and and uh, the best advertising that we see today. So even though he wrote for newspaper ads and trains and stuff like that, train advertising, uh, it, it's all still highly relevant to you know TikTok today or whatever whatever kind of advertising you're doing.
0: Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to having you back. Uh, I definitely am going to swing back later on today and see if we could start putting together that, that hit list of books. I definitely would be interested in learning about it. I learned a ton. Uh, I'm actually recommending stuff to people that's not original, so it's not my bright idea. Uh, thank you so, so much for your time. Okay.